Thanks for joining us on the Teachers Changing Teaching Podcast, where today, you guys, we have a real treat. Natalie, Rachel, and Jamie presented at a conference at John Brown University about a month ago. And this is the audio from that presentation. There's about a 30-minute presentation where they talk about the podcast. They talk about what has happened in their lives as they have produced this podcast. And then they took some questions and answers. The audio is not amazing, but we wanted you guys to hear it all. So here it is, the presentation at John Brown University with your hosts, Dr. Jamie Collins, Natalie Davey, and Rachel Evans. I'm going to go ahead and get us started, so welcome. Happy Friday afternoon. Um, my name is Bethany Smith. I work in the enrollment office here at JBU, and I'm going to be moderating this conversation. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce our panelists. Um, so Jamie Collins, um, she is from the university, or she's here at JBU. She has a degree from the University of Mexico, New Mexico. She taught wor uh, American world and British literature grades 10 through 12 in public high school before earning her graduate degrees. She is an assistant professor in teacher education at John Brown University. She teaches courses in secondary pedagogy, English pedagogy, cultural studies, and young adult literature. Her research focuses on identity development and teacher education, multimodal meaning making as critical text creation, and arts integration at the secondary and collegiate levels. Natalie Davey is in her fourth year of teaching at Harbor High School. She teaches 10th grade English and student council, where she also, which she also sponsors. Before teaching, she attended the University of Arkansas, where she got her bachelor's degree in English literature and communications, as well as her master's of arts in teaching degree in secondary ed English education. Besides teaching, she loves to spend time with her husband, dog, and fellow church members. <laughs> and Rachel Evans is an English language arts teacher at Bentonville High School. She holds a master of arts in teaching and a bachelor of arts in English from the University of Arkansas. She has published and presented with the National Council of Teachers of English. And in her current role, Rachel teaches ninth grade English and pre-AP English one. So these ladies have been podcasting for a year and a half together, and they're in their second season. And they have over 30 total episodes and nearly 4,000 downloads, um, and has individuals from over 20 countries interacting with their platform on a regular basis. So I'm going to turn this over to Jamie for now to introduce the rest of the plan today. Thank you so much, Bethany. Thank you all for being here this afternoon. We really appreciate it. We, um, we have a slightly different opportunity here this afternoon of talking through a journey that we've been on for the last, I'd say, year and a half, two years. And we want to talk through it. We want to uh, weave connections to research and concepts that we're seeing, these salient themes. And we also want to open it up for a conversation. We would really like to have some discussion around um, what's happening, around what's working, around what we've come to discover, um, and really continue this adventure that we're on, trying to make sense of um, how these meanings are connecting to our practice, to our understanding of our faith, and then how we're incorporating that um, in what we do in the classroom. So. Um, we have a slightly different opportunity for everyone here today. I contacted Amanda about my idea, sharing our podcast work as a very different way to conceptualize the reading women and women reading. The 
focus of this conference, and she graciously took me up on my offer to bring our podcast work to you this afternoon. So what we have for you during this session is something slightly different than the other panels. We want to offer a moment for those in attendance to consider our work from a different lens and consider the way that we come to understand our roles as making meaning, of sharing ideas, and investing in ongoing conversations of Christian faith and literature. We came to this work through the back door, if you will, over the last two and a half years. We have had a transformational experience that has changed how we read, how we write, how we think, and how we teach. And recently, we've taken up the complicated task of analyzing this project from the perspective of co-writing a text, integrating faith within practice, and finding ways to practice our own agency. We are now zooming out and zooming in, connecting to different fields, trying to see what the benefit of this work is to those outside of our community and within it. So much of our work evolves around the concept of our teaching identities, something that I focus on in my research and the work I do with future English faculty at secondary and collegiate levels. So we hold a SACS definition of professional teaching identity, that our professional identities stand at the core of our profession, that our identities provide a framework for us to construct our own ideas of how to be, how to act, and how to understand, that our identities are not fixed, rather that our identities are negotiated through experiences and the sense that we make from our experiences. In essence, we want to take this time and explore how the co-creation of a text, in this case the text is a podcast, supports our developing identities regarding our faith and the ways in which we instruct right and make meaning. So three main ideas that we're going to be talking through today is podcast as a medium or a mode to offer a flexible and generative form of text to make meaning and share ideas. The making of a podcast as a process that allows collaborative and co-text development, supporting faith integration and agency. And the making of a podcast or a co-created text as a potentially viable means to support identity development in relationship to one's content, one's instruction, and one's participation in a discursive community. So uh, what I'd like to do is open up with just a little bit of background on podcasting. Um, but before I talk about podcasts, just how we got into this, um, Natalie and Rachel were students of mine in the Master of Arts in Teaching program at the University of Arkansas. Uh, we worked together during their program, while they completed their program. We had each other, I had them in class, I was their supervisor, um, their advisor, and then um, they went out into the teaching world, they flew away. <laughs> and then uh, COVID hit. And we found each other again, needing support, uh, needing community, and needing connection. And so uh, we started meeting on my back porch, uh, socially distanced, of course. And we uh, talked through the challenges that we were facing going online. And then we started reading books together. And then we started um, bringing in our challenges and things that we were facing. And we were finding that um, together we were, we were creating a very generative community where our ideas were being challenged and cultivated and that we were able to enact things that we didn't have the guts to enact before in our classrooms. Also um, bring some different conceptualizations of how what we're doing with our reading and our writing was taking form. Um, Natalie said randomly one day we should do a podcast and we said <laughs> yeah maybe we should and so uh, my husband has a background in podcasting and so he put microphones on the kitchen table and we just started recording. And what has come from that is a structure where initially we started posing a question, then we would complicate that question and I would add um, theoretical understandings, different literary criticism lenses, that component that I bring, and then we would try to solve the problems that we were facing and see how that implementation works. 
throughout that process, we realized that we were being forced to think about what we believe, about who we are, and about who our students are, and what we think about the texts and how we're writing and making those connections. And then um, we've continued to record them and share them, and um, it's just developed into more interaction than we had ever than we'd ever imagined. Uh, we're putting together a, pod, or a website, try to give resources to teachers and support them. We're just trying to respond to the community that has been interacting with us and saying, thank you for involving us in these conversations and can we do some more? And so um, it's really been causing us to question uh, how we continue this and what the need is in our community. Um, in order to understand podcasts, podcasting started, the concept of a podcast was in uh, 2004, an article written for The Guardian, where the um, Hammersley quoted Christopher Linden, in, uh, who is an ex-New York Times and national public radio journalist, saying that podcast is an experiment, <laughs> that we are in the middle of an experiment. Everything is inexpensive, he said. The tools are available. Everyone has been saying anyone can be a publisher. Anyone can be a broadcaster. And he says, well, let's see if that works. And so we feel like we are, and we give a strong sense that we're in this sense of uh, an experiment, okay? The experiment of how we're making meaning and making text. And because of that, there's not a lot of research out on podcasts. The ways that we are understanding podcasts right now in education is they're often used um, as course content. They're often used to summarize uh, learnings. They're used for students um, who are bilingual and who are in a course in their L2 language, trying to make sense of uh, the content that's in there. As far as research goes, it's often following students making podcasts in sense of storytelling or a narrative or having a student choice. Um, and that the journey follows usually a semester at a time. And if or if the podcast was or wasn't effective as an assessment tool. But, as, but there is not research around what we're doing with a podcast. That it is creating community, that it is um, pushing up against the professional development dynamic of uh, an external body coming to a group of educators telling them what the problem is and then providing them with a solution. Um, it is co-finding the problem, co-developing the solution, and then seeking an implementation, and then coming back with uh, the problems, the challenges, and the fixes. And in the process of that, um, we have found that it's really transformed the way that we think about teaching and learning. Uh, so I think that kind of covers just the basics of how uh, podcasts have been used, the research that we have. Um, we're also considering how podcasts function from a more of a multimodal perspective. So Jewett's work in 2008, she writes about how a, the way in which we make something, the way in which we create a text, affects the meaning that we make from it. And so one thing that we're really curious about is how the fact that we're making the podcast, the mode that we're choosing to create in this loosely defined space, that we're both able to, that we're, the three of us are able to collaboratively communicate about challenges and issues and how that is cultivating um, a sense of ownership and agency and purpose. So Rachel's going to share with, about, uh, share with us about how uh, we're positioning the podcast as a collaborative text. All right. Um, yeah, so we have found, right, not only is the podcast multimodal, 
but it is also a collaborative text that we are co-authors on. Um, and that those two things together have influenced um, our, the power dynamics in our group um, and how we relate to one another. It's influenced our identity formation um, as teachers, as believers, as people. Um, it's influenced our concept of community among each other um, in our classrooms and just in the education world generally. It has also influenced how we relate to um, the institution of education, especially, well, I was gonna say especially public education. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Okay. Um, so it's influenced, this idea of collaborative text has influenced um, all of these things. So uh, Scallon uh, wrote an article and talked about how Collaborative multimodal composition is a valuable practice not only because of what it is capable of producing, but also because of how it re-energizes the concept of audience, genre, and recursivity. Um, and so we're finding all those things to be true as we engage in this co-authored text together. Um, sort of like podcasting, there's not a lot of scholarship on collaborative text as far as teacher, peers, colleagues. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, there's some scholarship on students in the K-12 classroom or the undergraduate classroom collaborating. Um, some thinking behind like using drama, theater, improv techniques to build a collaborative text. Um, Esposito talks about that, but very little on like, what does it mean for teacher leaders, teacher, scholars, researchers, to be creating a collaborative text together. Um, so again, it feels like we're doing something pretty new, pretty different. Um, and that collaboration uh, has, oh, I know what I want to say. <laughs> I got ahead of myself. So the kind of the closest thing we could find with that um, thinking in line was an article written about how um, writing center was um, how language is used in writing centers and how the tutors in the writing center um, would talk to the clients and how they became co-authors through the um, that experience and the language that they were using in that experience and so that's kind of influenced how we've seen and analyzed this collaborative text influencing our dynamics. So, okay, so the first thing um, we have seen in our collaborative text creation, our relationship really started, Dr. Collins was our professor at the University of Arkansas, um, our mentor teacher, she did observations um, in our classrooms when we were interns. So our relationship really started um, with this like power differential, right? She's our teacher, we're the students. Um, and what Padalides argues is that this co-authorship leads to um, a change in the power dynamics where it can then be, you can move along this continuum of asymmetric helping strategies, he calls them, <laughs> um, of being able to shift 
those power dynamics through the process of co-authorship. So this, the format influences that as well. We are sharing, it's a loose format, we share reflexively, um, spontaneously, and that has allowed the power dynamics to shift. That kind of started with our back porch conversations, and then as we've become co-authors, we've built a more like level community. Um, and we would even joke about like, do we call you Jamie? Do we call you Dr. Collins? Um, and and now it's Jamie, right? Like now that dynamic has shifted. Um, most a, a big part because of our co-authorship. So then we've also built identity through this co-authorship. Um, we have an identity as our podcast like identity. We are teachers changing teaching. We that's the name of our podcast. Um, <laughs> we are creating this thing together. Um, we have like the same like philosophical goals in mind. Like we try to be very generative, very helpful. We uh, bring problems. Uh, Here's what I'm struggling with in my classroom. Here's what I'm seeing at school. Um, here's a thing I can't figure out how to teach. And then we bring solutions. And I think that identity of being very solution, very tangible um, in our problem solving has been a big part of our identity as podcasters. And then it's also shifted our identities in the classroom as teachers. Um, we are able, we've had a lot of discussions on like, what are you good at? What are you good at teaching? Um, what do you like to teach? What is like playing to your strengths? For me, um, I love teaching writing and I really lean into that. For Natalie, that's teaching reading. Um, for Dr. Collins, that's... Um, Dr. Collins. Dr. Collins, I know, I see, I'm switching. <laughs> I'm switching. <laughs> for Jamie. Um, that's novice teacher formation. Um, and so we really have learned to lean into that in our classrooms and in our conversations. When we're sharing ideas, we all kind of know that that's the perspective the other person's coming from. We've also built our identities as readers and writers. Um, and being able to say, like, this is who I am as a reader. This is what I like to read. This is where I like to read. Um, this is when I like to read. And here's how I talk about reading and writing with my students. And that helps them build identity as readers and writers mm -hmm. as well. It, this building of community also has given us a new orientation to the, the institutions that we're part of, school, and um, allowed us to find agency within the institution of school and all of the systems that we are a part of there. We've learned um, to lean into our identities and take agency over what we can and build, yeah, build agency and, and think about like what's really important in what I'm doing and what do I have control over and what do I not have control over and what can I let go because I don't have control over it. And I think that has kept, at least myself, it's kept me in the classroom mm -hmm. and being able to know what what I can control and what is important versus what I can control and what's not important. 
Um, and then we've also built community through this co-authored space. Um, so Pantelis again talks, um, says, to acknowledge the discourses we enact in our relationships means to move away from the narrative of guilt that frequently plagues both our practice and our scholarship. Um, so I think we've been able, in building this community, to move away from some of that guilt and build like a really authentic community, again, with each other, um, with other teachers who are listening to the podcast. Um, we had the opportunity to bring a couple um, novice teachers on the podcast and get their thinking and their ideas. And that's really important to us as now kind of veteran teachers uh, hearing from people that are a little bit behind us on the teaching journey and what new ideas and insights do they have and how do we bring them into the community. Um, and then, so we've been able to bring them into the community. It's also influencing our classroom community, right? In the podcast, we talk about how do we build community? What does it look like to build community with students? And so we're able to come up with ideas for that, implement them into the classroom. So again, the shared text is um, helping us build community. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's where I want to finish. Uh, <laughs> in an uh, analogy that's become really important to us in finding agency is Anne Lamont's um, analogy of the acre, and we each have our acre to tend. Um, we each have a, an an acre in our life to take care of and to tend and do the best that we can with. We don't have control over this acre or this acre or this acre. We have control over our acre. Um, and then you line it up with someone else's acre and then someone else's and you grow this acre. And that's been um, really helpful in thinking about our teaching, right? We think about our classroom as an acre, um, the clubs that we sponsor as our acre. How can we build, um, how can we tend those well and again let everything else go that we can't control something that uh that is important that we build in our anchor is this kingdom work right how do we um engage students with the ideas of the gospel mm -hmm. in our classrooms so natalie's going to talk a little bit about that First, I need to apologize because today was there was a pep rally at school that I had to put on, and my enthusiasm is still kind of reeling from that. So if I come off a little bit peppy, I normally do anyways, but today it's extra. So sorry. Um, and I have the wonderful privilege of getting to talk about um, how we as believers actually bring our faith into a public school classroom. When I was thinking about going into the teaching profession, that was one of the main fundamental things that I was concerned about, because I thought that to be a Christian meant that to do distinctly Christ-like things, I needed to be in ministry. Um, and as a female, I was like, where do I go besides the nursery? Um, <laughs> so I honestly, I had a lot of uh, misgivings about how can I use this work to actually distinctly reflect Christ and the kingdom and engage in gospel work while teaching in a public high school that is, as we all know, pretty much the opposite of <laughs> the sacred world that we are trying to introduce to our students. 
So um, I, as I was researching, I um, came across this article from 1922. It's very old, but <laughs> it it freed me to give me some language around um, the thoughts that I was experiencing towards um, what how do teachers go about becoming becoming a Christian teacher, right? So one of the questions that he poses, um, or he says in this article, is saying that it becomes commonplace to say that there is no secular or sacred in the realm of vocations outside of ministry. And as people are approaching these positions that they are talking, like, you know, deciding if they want to be in law or in medicine in the future, um, they ask the question, now, do these vocations afford an opportunity for the adequate of expression, sorry, for the adequate expression of the Christian purpose? And what I love about this quotation from this article is that I felt like it gave language all of a sudden to what we're trying to do with this podcast and what we're trying to do in our classroom, which is I can't come up in front of my students and read First Timothy to them as much as I want to. Um, but what I can do is engage them in spiritual practices that um, will engage their minds and their hearts and their thoughts in a different way than just doing a worksheet, right? So one of the things that we've talked about again and again on the podcast is how do we um, bridge these two worlds of the secular and the sacred in our classrooms? Um, Part of what we all believe, I know we've talked about this many times on our podcast, um, is that if God himself, to know him, gave humans a book to know him by, and then we get to teach books in our classroom, then there's probably something distinctly sacred about the medium that God chose to give us, right? If he chose to reveal himself through a movie, I'd be showing movies in my class every other day. However, he did not. He gave us a book. Um, So that completely flipped our mindsets towards the way that we started to teach literature in our classrooms and the ways that we continue to teach writing in our classrooms as well. Um, So one of the things that I personally do in my classroom um, after our conversations in the podcast um, is I do a practice called Lectio Divina, some of you are probably very familiar with this, um, but this is the idea that like everything that is written in the Word of God is sacred. And so, as I have students do writing quizzes, I actually model their reading quizzes off of the Lectio Divina practice, which is very fun. And all of a sudden, it takes students from just merely reading and analyzing the text, how they did one time with us in class, and it takes them into this entirely different brain space of saying like, now you're going to reflect back on this text. But this time you're going to imagine it like as the most important, holy, wonderful thing that you've ever experienced. Um, so that's been very freeing to me as a teacher who's like, I don't know how to bridge these two worlds of being a Christian and being in the public school. Um, one of the things that I also found interesting, uh, let me find it real quick. Not that one. Not that one. So one of the articles that I was reading um, was from a school in Germany who was interested in this work that we are also interested in, which is bridging those two worlds of, of the secular and the sacred. And one of the things that they found is that spiritual religious practices are actually aimed at introducing the participants into constructive conversations on faith and identity, and in doing so at enhancing understanding, respect, and recognition of each other's religious positions. Now, one of the things that I think um, we see this most primarily in, even though I do not teach advanced placement classes, is the advanced placement courses most recently last year came out with a statement about how they were not trying to indoctrinate children. (laughs) Because there was a lot of feedback coming from parents that was saying advanced placement 
courses, specifically English, because you're reading texts, right? They're trying to indoctrinate your children. And I was talking with one of my colleagues about this, and he said, what I find most puzzling about this is that nobody is having the conversation of what does your child believe in the first place before they come to my classroom and read these texts, right? Um, a lot of times that we assume that our students are thinkers without actually asking, are they thinkers? And what do they think? Um, so I know that for um, us personally, as we've reflected on the work that we've been doing, it's, it, it's important for us to recognize that if we don't engage students in the thinking practices, nobody is going to do that for them. Meaning that if we don't engage our students in the reading practices that are like deeply sacred and like critical reading practices or critical writing practices, nobody is going to do that for them. Um, time and time again, I've been baffled at the number of times that I'm like, parents, please engage and help your students learn, and I get nothing back. So I'm like, all right, it's on me to do, I guess. So um, those have just been interesting findings from our own experiences in the classroom. As far as the podcast is concerned, I do believe that it has been one of the most transformative pieces of like professional development for us as Christians for um, what we do in our classrooms the next day. A lot of times in the public school sphere, we feel very like beaten down and that the system is against us and that every other factor is like telling us, don't focus on the kids, don't focus on what you want to teach them, don't focus on the literature, don't focus on the things that got you into the profession, focus on the emails, focus on the safety, focus on the logistics, focus on your bathroom pass getting back in the room, <laughs> and focus on the phone call, okay? So um, what the podcast has been able to do for us it's freed us to say those things that the system is saying are primary, we now have the lens to be able to say, those things are not, it's not that they're not important. I want my kids to be safe and I want that bathroom pass back in my room for sure. But, trust me, I want it back. But <laughs> the more important thing is that I am engaging them critically in the text that we're reading, the writing that we're doing, and the work that we're doing in our classroom, the projects, etc. cetera. Um, the podcast has helped me time and time again just say like, what's primary? Like, what is primary here? Glorify God, enjoy him forever. Answer one to the catechism, right? Glorify God, enjoy him forever. If I'm not doing those things in my classroom, I'm not doing gospel work, truly. Um, I'm teaching and I'm living my life like anybody else who's not saved, and I don't want to do that. Um, so the podcast has been transformational to our experiences as believers and has given us a lot of room to be able to say, how do we enact this identity piece that I talked about in that first article of recognizing that teaching is a call and it is a distinctly like Christian call that we feel, but how do we keep Christ at the center of our teaching without explicitly being able to say, hey, we're going to read the Bible now together, open up to Psalms, right? This reminds me of Psalm 16 when um, David prays like, and he thanks God for still recognizing like he has a beautiful inheritance, right? He recognizes that God's protection and comfort is there. And so then he has a beautiful inheritance, even though his thoughts are troubling him, even though there are storms around him. He's like, because I have Christ, I have it all. And I think the podcast has trained me to have that mindset more and more as well. Um, one of the things in the article as well said, the call to teach is the business which occupies a man's time and yields him an income. It's spoken sometimes as his living, sometimes as his calling. Each of those words expresses an important truth. So I recognize that um, for this conference, I, I don't know how I just got here today, um, but I know that it's been focused on how we are um, Christians in the workplace, and this is one of the ways that we see it from our podcast standpoint. 
Um, I'm, I was going to say something else about the podcast, and I forgot. Um, I think all of us would say that it has made us engage with the work that we're doing in our classrooms. Besides just the work itself, like I said, like my reading quizzes or the writing that I'm having my students do, um, it also just causes us to engage with our students differently. Um, when I have a session with Jamie and Rachel, I go into my classroom more oriented towards the kingdom and towards um, recognizing that I have souls in my classroom who are in need in Christ, who are in need of Christ and are in need of saving from hell. And that changes my mindset towards the day <laughs> significantly. Suddenly that email from my principal does become secondary because it should become secondary. Um, and the work that I'm doing with my students becomes primary. If the ways that I'm interacting with my students express to them that they are secondary, that's what they're going to feel. Um, and the more that we can focus on the work that we're doing in our podcast, the more we feel freed to focus on the good work that God has placed before our eyes, which is our students. Um, so that's been the most transformative piece for me and has been a huge joy that I found in the work that we've been doing with the podcast. Yeah? Sorry about that. I told you. It was great. I'm not that peppy right now, so I'm feeding off of that. Um, no, it's good. It's very good. Um, we're going to open the floor to questions at this point, but I'm going to start us off with one that's kind of general. But can you give us just each of you maybe a tangible thing that you've learned about yourself through this experience that surprised you that you didn't expect to learn? That's kind of general, but also kind of intense. <laughs> Something that we've learned about ourselves that we didn't expect. It's strength. Yeah. Okay. I've learned that um, I love to live in the world of ideas, and um, the conversations are constantly forcing me to say, so what, with that idea? What's next? So what? So what does that mean to my understanding? What does that mean to my life? What does that mean to what I'm writing? What does that mean to how I'm empowering students? What does that mean to the community that I'm forming? intentionally in my classroom as an instructor, um, what am I generating, what am I creating uh, in light of those ideas that I could just happily live inside of um, in my own office, in my own space. And so being forced to communicate it and then think about an external audience always listening to what we're saying, this need to uh, explain and to interpret and to connect brings another dimension to the conversation that's happening that challenges, um, that challenges me on a regular basis. Um, I think for me, one, this idea of like owning that I'm a writing teacher, mm -hmm. that I love teaching writing, and that informs my curriculum, it informs um, how we interact with text in my classroom, um, it informs how we spend our time in the classroom, how I set up my classroom, the physical space. Um, so really taking ownership of that and thinking about the implications in my classroom has been a big thing that I've learned from the podcast. Um, this, like, also this idea of like, solutions, that maybe sounds like silly, but in, at, I don't know, at least in the K-12 world, there's so much negativity and there's so much just cynicism and not yeah, a lot sorry, of... You know, what kind of K-12, like kindergarten K -K through 12th grade. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's um, there's a lot of cynicism. There's a lot of... Students can't. 
students can't, that's too much work, I don't have time, where our focus has been on what can you do tomorrow? What's one small thing you can do tomorrow? Given all these big ideas, all of, all of the problems, what's one small thing you can do tomorrow? Um, we had a conversation last spring. Mm -hmm. I came in to one of our podcast sessions a little bit just like ranty and upset about Chromebooks and all these students having Chromebooks and they come into class and get them out and they're just like locked in on the Chromebook and done. And we, done. We always record after school for this reason. Yeah. <laughs> and then we just talked about, well, just like print out your next assignment. Right. Just give them a piece of paper to do it on. And I did, and it was great. Yes. And then I did the next one on paper, and it was great. And then this year, basically all my assignments have been on, on a piece of paper. And it's changed. My, my students are more focused. My students are turning in more work. Um, it's easier for me to grade. So just this idea of we're coming up with simple solutions to these really big overwhelming problems instead of just being negative about them, which has made me more attuned to when I'm negative when I'm in my school building. Um, and instead trying to switch to, okay, well, how can we problem solve it in a, in a simple way that we all do have time for? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think I have two. That's great. Okay. Um, the first one is that I, when we first started the podcast, I think I had this mindset about um, education because it had been uh, sort of preached to me time and time, whoa, time, and time again. Um, that if you are enthusiastic and a hard worker, then that means that you need to just start climbing the ladder in education. So you need to like become a principal, be in the district, write the curriculum, like all of those sorts of things. And um, I'm most surprised by our work on the podcast. I don't want to say most surprised. One of the things I've been surprised by is I would naturally follow that route because if somebody told me to, I would just be like, sure, great, sounds good. Um, but as we've done the podcast, I've seen more and more that like, that is not the work that God has called me to, and um, I need to be content in what God has called me to rather than what the world says, like, the ladder is, and you should run up it as quick as you can. Um, so I think I was most surprised by that, because more and more, I'm feeling confident telling students, like, I had a student uh, last week say, I think you should be in administration, and I was like, I'd hate my life, <laughs> but I like being with you. <laughs> so I'm sticky. <laughs> um, so that was surprising after our conversations, because I thought, more um, more responsibility meant more oversight over students, which would then mean like I get to do more with a bigger realm of students than I do in my 25-person class, um, which I don't think is true anymore. Um, the other thing that I feel most surprised by is, as Rachel was saying, just the way that the podcast has, and Jamie specifically, has challenged us to think through what we are particularly good at as teachers and owning those identity pieces in our work rather than um, a lot of times in the education world we are told like this is the model this is the new hot trend that you should be doing this is what you um like what the research is supportive of this and then two years later it changes um and very few teachers actually ask themselves what they are good at and what works in their classroom and how they best see students learn. And so what ends up happening is that um, a lot of times when we are getting data of like students, like say we're all teaching 10th grade English together, 
when we're all comparing our data, it's going to be very, very different. Not necessarily because any of us are better or worse teachers than each other, but because we're all trying to implement a model that may not actually be who we are, right? Um, and so I think the podcast has really freed me to say, like, I can, uh, I can work with the models that they're trying to present us with, but with what I'm particularly good at. Um, and that's been really freeing. Yeah, I remember telling one of my coworkers after that um, podcast episode that we filmed, um, and he said, I just like, I'm like really good at lecturing. I was like, lecture, keep doing it. Like don't do it every single day, but like do it. Anyways, yeah. That's great, thank you. Does anybody in the audience wanna throw out a question? Go with you first. Yeah, um, thank you all for your presentations. Um, I, I'm really interested in the question that uh, what constitutes Christian teaching. Um, and this would be for, for either Natalie or for the whole panel, but um, you mentioned a couple of examples yeah. uh, talking about um, the role of the book, yeah. you talked about lefty Athena mm -hmm. as a practice in the classroom. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering what sort of the broader criteria or yardstick that you would use to say this counts as a Christian practice as opposed to this other practice that it's not specifically a, a Christian teaching practice. Sure. Go ahead, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna think about things. I, the first thing that came to mind for me is I think about this big idea of truth mm -hmm. and how do I get students to see that in the text that we're reading. Um, so, okay, a, a big truth that as a believer we see is the, um, oh my gosh, uh, sin nature. <laughs> sin nature. Sin nature. Right? And that we are all fallen, we're all in need of salvation. Okay, so Lord of the Flies, we teach Lord of the Flies, and that talks a lot about sin nature. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm trying to get students to see and understand from that book is, is our need, right? You, um, you know, the boys show up at the island and some of them seem like they're gonna be okay and some of them seem like they're gonna be leaders and then it all falls apart. And even in the beginning of the book, they think, you know, students talk about, oh, I think, I think Ralph's gonna be a good leader. Or like, Man, if they would just make Piggy be the leader. And then at the end of the book, none of it works. Um, and so fostering those conversations and integrating um, writing to get them to those ideas, integrating um, art to get them to those ideas, um, create, creating things. Um, I think creating is another big uh, idea I have in my classroom for if I believe that we are created and that we have the element of the creator inside of us, mm -hmm. then also we are creators and my students are creators. So I want them making things. Mm -hmm. I want them writing things. I want them drawing things. I want them acting things out. I want them uh, taking construction paper and making like weird bread with it. Um, <laughs> taking Play-Doh and making fire with it. Going outside and getting sticks to make a shelter because <laughs> we're in the order of the flies and I'm making them build a shelter. Like this idea of creating is important to me as well. So, yeah, truth and creation. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> um, 
I would agree with Rachel, and it's a good question that you're asking because a lot of the times I feel like in education, there's, there's a sense of like, we could do the simple thing of presenting them with like comprehension questions, right, which I wouldn't call spiritual um, or like a sacred practice. Um, but a lot of times that is kind of what education leans towards of like regurgitate that you understood the information and then like that's your grade, right? Um, so some of the things that I try to do with like what Rachel is saying is thematically with the books that we teach, a lot of um, my personal classroom, like our 10th grade team is scooching more and more away from the canon. And I was a little bit like, I don't want to say, I wasn't apprehensive, but I was like, are those themes of like sin nature, redemption, like are those going to be as like grabbable as like some of the classics that I read in high school? So I had an experience with them, right? Like that's what I was concerned about. Um, so anytime that it's those sorts of conversations that you're having in the books, which are still definitely like it's literature, all of them are going to talk about like human nature, sin, rebellion, redemption, all of that. Um, I always have them like they'll go through comprehension questions. They'll have these like uh, reading questions that are, that are engaging them beyond just comprehension, I would say. And then I'm always trying to do have them do a reflective piece about the internal work of any time that they've like they personally found that they like were rebellious or that they like they have a redemption story or whatever else. Um, I found that that works in a couple of different ways. One, it causes them to engage with the reading a little bit differently as we're like continuing on the journey. And then also allows me to have insights into my students' lives because I mean, our students have across the board, they've got really challenging lives. Um, and if nobody is telling them that like they can be redeemed, then why would they think that anybody but that Christ would redeem them, let alone that their life could be redeemed, right? Like just the circumstances in their life. Um, so those are just tiny things that I do in my classroom. Um, Jamie, do you have anything else to? I think there's a couple different ways that we're thinking about this. So what are these large ideas, yeah. these overwhelming themes, these overarching um, places where we're going to get students to be thinking, to be uh, writing, creating, and responding? And then there's the nitty gritty. How am I doing this with Lectio Divina? How am I doing this with my comprehension questions? And I think the tension that we face in, with faith and working in to what we're doing is holding both the big idea, mm -hmm. right, that overarching, and the smaller, more focused, nitty gritty components of how we're playing that out on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I think a couple I think a part of that is um, if you are, as an individual, as an instructor, if you are more apt to engage reading well with discussion, you get there with that. Mm -hmm. If you are more apt with writing, you get there with that. I think getting at those challenging concepts has to, is more easily attained by us moving inside of that strength that we have. Mm -hmm. uh, I think too often we say, that looks like a great practice and I'm going for it. This looks like a great idea, great idea I'm going to try it. And then we're in the shadow of it instead of using it to empower our practice. Um, for me, a large idea that I'm working with right now is that we're going to die. Mm -hmm. And so that's been really guiding a lot of my work. I don't mean to be dark, but we have limits. We're, we're going to die. And so in a world that's constantly around us, as, uh, as people, of, uh, people who are generating ideas and content and students who are being told they're absolutely limitless, what does it look like when we think about our limits, mm -hmm. that we can't, that we can't do everything? And if I'm modeling that, then I have to own, this is what I'm good at, and this is what I'm going to walk out, walk through in my teaching and my practice. 
Um, and then also owning, if I don't understand an idea when it comes to literature, I'm, I'm gonna either engage my students vulnerably and learn with them, or I'm gonna avoid it. <laughs> I'm not gonna posit that I do understand it and um, get in the power dynamic where I'm trying to conceal or protect my ego. Well, and I, to add on to that, um, I think some of that for me is I would want to know and hear students understanding the text. And not just like, did you get it? Did you comprehend it? Right. But how are you thinking about this text? How are you analyzing it? Mm -hmm. um, because of this idea of like, they are creators, right? They, I want to see their creations. And so that plus um, leaning into my identity as a writing teacher, I do a, a lot of, um, is it Burke that talks about reader response? Mm -hmm. um, so Jim Burke talks a lot about reader response, so giving students space in their writing and to respond to text and to make connections to their experiences in their personal life. So that's kind of an example of how I lean into my identity and these big ideas that I'm thinking about. And I think watching, walking that delicate path, it's not just reader response, right? What do you think? What do you feel? But it's how are we getting at that to bring us back around yes. to understanding a critical analysis of the text yes. and the larger themes and ideas. Yeah. Also, the one other thing that I would, I would add is that when we're teaching these books or teaching these um, writing skills or whatever it might be, um, one of the things that I'm thinking of is the predominant messages that the world might be sending students versus like what we can do in our classrooms to make sure that it's Christ-centric, right? So in the books that we're teaching, what they would focus on in a story is just that the end character got redeemed, and they'd like primarily focus on the, the victory at the end. And what I want my students to lean into in the story is the rebellious piece and the fall, because I want them to recognize themselves there, right? Um, I want them to see that like you are not innately good, even though every other message around you is saying like, you are the hero of your own story, you are the truth that you want to accept, whatever. I'm trying to get them the different message that like, you need to not distrust yourself a lot, and you need to, um, you need to ask like, why am I rebellious? What is causing this rebellion? Why is this redemption so sweet at the end of the story? Um, if the redemption, like if we just focus on that, the redemption is actually like not that fulfilling if you don't focus on the fall. Um, which is also true of the garden, like without Christ, if we don't focus on what happened in the garden and how fully Christ redeemed us, like we don't we don't understand how good it is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. wonderful question. question. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing. This is real stimulating. I do not apologize for being peppy. Appreciate that question. 
thinking about a uh, larger audience. I know because uh, Natalie and Rachel are in the space of teaching, they share it with their um, peers and with their fellow teachers. Their fellow teachers listen to it. Uh, when a download, when an episode is dropped, within a day or two, they're running into their classrooms and saying, now I'd like to say, now I'd like to add, now I'm wondering, and how dare you say, I mean, and it has elicited some really interesting conversations um, and some willingness to say, thanks for saying that I was too scared to say, right. or thanks for, thanks for admitting that you don't know what that means and you, and you need help, because then I was able to take that position with you at the table. Um, our goal is for the final podcast to not be highly produced, but for it to sound a little more rough. We talk over each other, we interact, and it's intentionally crafted that way so that it sounds drafty, so that an individual feels as if, or gets a sense as if they're sitting with us at the table. Because mm -hmm. we want to share the conversations that are rawly happening and that are being cultivated in that time and space. Um, there are times when we want to go back and fix it because we sound like buffoons or because we've misspoke and we'll have to go back and say, I gotta say that again, I gotta fix that, I gotta, but the, the willingness to let it be drafty I think has allowed um, a higher level and willingness of engagement. Um, I go and observe interns at their schools and those teachers come and find me. They want to sit, they want to talk, they want to have conversation. Um, they want to hug. <laughs> they want to. They want to have. Um, they want to tear up. There's just that being seen and being heard that we did not at all anticipate. Mm -hmm. um, my students listen to the podcast. Um, my undergrad and grad students they listen to them, and I get comments. Uh, they talk to back to me about what they're noticing, what they're hearing. Um, they'll push back at something that I'm saying, and it's this interesting space. It's exploded. <laughs> that kind of uh, kind of. It invades in different places. But our goal is we're imagining individuals driving in their car listening. And so that's a different kind of a, like we're imagining them in the car driving, parking in the, we say this all the time, parking in the parking lot and going in. Mm -hmm. What do they need to hear right before they go in? Um, what encouragement, what ideas, what practical applications, what things can we be thinking of? But on my end, I'm thinking, how can I also provide good theory, like good ideas, yeah. solid understandings um, the complications of what's happening. Uh, they, the solution is here, but I want to talk about the whole glacier underneath. And so I'm trying to figure out how to get that in in a way that makes sense, but it's also um, can be heard, and I don't have time to build it in an article with my arguments and my paragraph, you know, build it collectively over time. Mm -hmm. What would you all say? The audience piece. Well, I mean, now my students are listening too. I found out my students are listening. Because <laughs> one episode dropped midday, and my entire student council class was like, oh, it's here! And I was like, what's here? And they're like, the podcast. I was like, ah! My first nightmare is happening before my eyes. Um, so I think a lot of the teachers in my school, specifically, that have started listening to the podcast, just to kind of build off what Jamie was saying, um, they found it really generative for the work that they're doing in their own classroom to be able to, uh, I don't know, like quiet the noise, I would say, around them. Um, kind of like what I was discussing earlier about um, the, the different things that education says are important versus what we believe to be important. I think the podcast is time and time again giving teachers that space to say, do you actually know what's important anymore? Like, do you? Um, I think the further you can get into your educational profession, the further that initial joy or um, that initial like spark of why you wanted to be in education goes. That's why people always say that teachers are jaded because it is true. 
largely. Um, and I found that coworkers are engaging with me in the ways that Jamie was saying of like, they had come in and they, I had a Tate moment, which is one of our episodes that um, we talk about like simple solutions to like a problem that we've overcomplicated in our head. Um, and so they've come in and been like, I, ha I have a Tate moment. I had a Tate moment today and I'm so excited about what happened. Instead of like them writing in their journals and me like micromanaging it, they all wrote on the board, it was great or whatever. Um, so that's been really helpful. And we also have goals in the future about what we want our audience engagement to look like. And so that is like ever evolving as we've continued on this podcast journey, but we would love to have um, like, well, maybe you should talk more about this too, but like we'd love to have a, um, a platform where teachers can talk to us and present us with like their sort of specific problem, if you will. Like, okay, I'm teaching, I don't know, things all over. I don't know where to start. I don't even know where to begin. I don't know how to go on this journey. I don't know how to, if they're a believer, like I don't know how to keep it Christ-centric, like all these different questions. I don't know how to unit plan, whatever. Um, and we want to be able to provide the space where we answer those specific teachers and provide them with feedback that they need. Um, yeah, those are the things that jumped to my mind. I think I've been really interested in how your students are yeah. thinking about um, teaching and our ideas. Um, so, you know, because you get, not that I've been in the classroom like that long, but like you do get kind of use, like you automate some things so you're not thinking about why you're doing what you're doing as much sometimes. Or, and the podcast helps with that and talking through it helps. Um, or, and how you're doing things, right? How you're building classroom community, how you're starting the first two weeks of school, mm -hmm. how you're setting expectations, how you're creating essays. Um, you know, you kind of, there's a struggle with that the first like year or two, um, and you get better at it and you don't think about it as much. So I always think it's helpful to hear um, what, you know, novice teachers are thinking about mm -hmm. so that you, you kind of pull back a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oh, how do I do that? Or why am I doing Mm -hmm. Why am I creating the essay that way? Why am I doing this classroom management thing this way? Right. Um, so that engagement to me adds a really interesting layer. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even um, tiny example, but since kind of building off the question that we were talking about earlier, even with the classroom management piece, that's always what like novice teachers are most concerned about. It's like these thirty kids are going to come into my room, and how in the world am I supposed to control them and their bodies, and let alone the learning? Like, how is that going to happen? Um, and we always talk about like expectations that we're setting up in our classrooms and why we hold fast to them. But even in the ways I was telling my intern who I have right now from JDU, who's amazing, um, it's actually her last day, tears, anyways. Um, I told her that my discipline process is always um, trying to show the gospel even in the discipline, right? Like I will, I will, I will confront a student and I will confront them very like directly and be very frank with them about like what they have done, that they are lying, that they are trying to hide what they have done, they're, try they're trying to cover up what they are doing to make it sound better, and I'm like, no, look at me and tell me you lied to my face, because that's what you did. <laughs> that's what you did. Don't say, oh, I was like sort of walking with my friend. Like, no, no, you were vaping into that bathroom, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I will like make them confront that, um, because again, I'm trying to make them confront the reality that like, you aren't as good as you, your nature wants you to think you are. But then I'm always going to give them a way out and the grace that I extend to them. Um, so I was even explaining that to Cassie of, like, we need to talk through that on the podcast to show, like, 
the reason that I am going to hit them hard and then extend grace to them is because Christ also gives that example of you are sinful. You do need to repent. It's not just you need to take one step back. You need to turn the entire different direction. But I'm going to extend you the grace to be able to do that. Um, Great question. I'm, I'm gonna. Well, maybe I should ask permission. Could I ask a bit of a hostile question? Please. Oh. oh. <laughs> James said, "Please." I'm like, maybe not. <laughs> maybe I She's framed that the wrong way. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so, you know, this has been a lot about why you all are in the classroom, sure. uh, setting up. You know, what's your acre? What's your agency? So you've come to know yourself and your place, your vocation, and all that. What would it take for you to quit, to walk away from your acre in the context of it is now? That's a good appreciate question. that. Ooh, that wasn't like a hostile question. That's like a that's like a soul searcher. <laughs> that's a thinker. That's a thinker. I can honestly say, in the last couple years, it has been more challenging for me to <clears throat> identify and maintain the purpose of preparing teachers when I see the world that I'm preparing them for. And I have had to ask myself the question that you just asked often. Um, In knowing the nature of what's happening in schooling, what what am I preparing them for? Am I preparing them well enough? And um, is it more ethical for me to tell them to to not do it than to do it? And I... For me, um, continuing that work is knowing that that's what I've been, the Lord's asked me to do in this season. Moments like this podcast, there's space where I am encouraged because I see people who are taking agency and who are moving forward. And so while I want to be here to support them, their life is giving me life and purpose to Mm -hmm. what I'm doing. but there is, there are huge question marks that I have as far as how long, what the, how long this marathon can go, because um, the challenges are great, and because the teachers are leaving the profession. What the most recent statistic is, six hundred thousand left last year. Ninety-eight percent that leave are leaving to leave, not because they, um, not because they're <clears throat> uh, retiring. It's because they're leaving the profession, and so. Those are our future. If we don't have great English teachers, we need, we need them there, right? So that students are learning and growing and they're coming to our universities to learn and to grow and to question and to read and to write and to think. Um, and so I think now, and being completely honest, now more than ever, that moment feels closer than it has ever felt. Yeah, I'll be honest. If another global pandemic happens, <laughs> that was rough. <laughs> um, one of the things that I think, though, would dissuade me from teaching is if the educational system as a whole gets even more. <laughs> I don't know what word I want to use. Awful. <laughs> nitpicky? That's a better word. Um, if they get even more nitpicky with what we're doing, um, like expected to do outside of the content that we're doing, um, I think those are really challenging things when the, the districts and 
when they're saying you have to do these sorts of things, and like we're talking, you know, data, data stories as something that's big right now, um, that isn't essential. It's important, it's just not essential. Um, and so I think if those things continue to mount and mount and mount and mount and take us away from being able to actually plan really good content and lessons, that would probably dissuade me the most. Um, because even during COVID, it became a very interesting time of reflecting what is the system telling us we should do, which was like continuously take pressure off of students, take anything that they need to do off of them and put more on teachers. And that became really challenging and that's why a lot of educators left because they were like, so I'm supposed to lesson plan. And for my students, I had to lesson plan for my Monday, Wednesday, Friday students and my Tuesday, Thursday students and then my five day a week kids and then my remote kids and then my quarantine kids. You see the problem. So, um, so then as they're mounting expectations on us, it was like, am I even like teaching anymore or am I just like filling out Google Forms? Like I don't even know what's going on. Um, and so that became a soul searching time in my own life and I think if it became more micromanaged in the future of what we're supposed to do from that end, it'd be challenging to continue. I think that's why there are so many people leaving the profession because yeah. there's expectations um, even from the like federal level and from the state level um, to public schools that are putting a lot of yeah uh, uh, just more fingers in the classroom more fingers in the school um, there are a lot of hands in the cookie jar a lot of hands in the cookie jar um, or their own reasons yeah. Um, that, <laughs> yes, <laughs> money, yeah, that make it, it makes it feel really difficult sometimes to do my job and to do, um, what I really care about. I, it's, I feel a little emotional with this question, like, mm -hmm. and I think that's why the podcast is so important to me because I, I, I don't know that I would be in it still yeah. if it wasn't for the podcast. Yeah because I don't know that I would have found um, the support, mm -hmm. the resources, and especially, I this I think the sense of agency that we're talking about is like, like that's the difference between the people that stay and the people that leave, right. um, is this sense of like, here's what I can control, and in some ways I'm letting everything else go. And I'm spending three minutes on the Google form, not four hours on the Google form so that I can spend four hours planning what really matters. It's not required on the Google form, you best believe it. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I, and I don't know that I would have found that except for our conversations and the work that we're doing. And so I don't know, I might be in it still, but would I be in the next year? I don't know, but I am. That's another thing that's come up is we have a very archaic model of professional development and education still. So, and we're, it's based on the, our past understandings of schooling and learning. And what we're finding is, if this is a generative space, how can this, how can we see this as an upside down? How can we understand professional development from a different perspective? Um, how can teacher training and development look different if, um, if there's components here that are resonating and that are working? Not saying that it becomes the catch-all, but what is resonating, what is happening, where, <clears throat> That our schools have changed so dramatically, how are we also changing the way that we position teachers? Mm -hmm. 
and that we think about their empowerment, that their position, their voice, their choice. Um, and this collaborative co-creation is we're just like grasping for language. We're trying to figure out what is it, what has happened before us, what is happening within and around where we can anchor it. Um, and like I said, we kind of came in the back door. Like what is it that's going on that's resonating? Um, because we want teachers to stay. We need them to stay. Thanks for the hard question. I appreciate it. I think we have time for one more. I'm in secondary education, or I was for a few years, and now I'm doing some of the work with some of those classes at my college with future teachers going into that, as well as straight-up English majors. They just English, and then it's English ed. And I think a lot of us are in the college level. So my question is, how can we help? What do you need? us, what are the things you want us to be passing on to those maybe future teachers as well as bridges maybe between the high school and the college. Unfortunately, I feel like there's not a lot of those conversations sometimes. That's what I noticed as I was kind of transitioning from high school to college is I did feel a little bit like some people felt like, oh, you're leaving us. <laughs> you know, you're going over here. And I didn't, in my mind, I was like, well, I'm moving on to grade 13. Like, it's the same work. It's just right. at a different point. But I did feel that, like, this drastic shift. And I really hope there could be more partnerships. So what can we do? That's a good question. Well, I think, too, now an individual can graduate with an English major and get into teaching much more easily than in the past because of the desperate need for teachers. And so English majors, biology majors, math majors are being hired as educators right now at a rate and a pace that they haven't in the past. And so um, helping undergraduate students understand how their uh, subject and their content connects to younger audiences, connects to uh, collaborative learning, kind of getting them oriented inside of their subject less like a silo or a, um, content that's understood and that's mastered and more about how to be a thinker, a writer, a reader, a learner, then they can go and apprentice kids in thinking and writing and learning. Um, students, when they're invited into that kind of a community or that kind of offer from the person in power in the room, there's just a much more likelihood that a community of practice will form around and as we're seeing from students right now, they're just not responding to the authoritative approach of I know because I know. Um, but I think helping students navigate that uh, would, could potentially uh, help them jump into those spaces more easily. What else? That's French face. I am. Well, yeah, I'm trying to just think about I. My undergraduate was in English creative writing, and I spent all four years being like, I'm not going to be a teacher. <laughs> and then went back for my master's. Um, and it, it's like two very different worlds. It's like English world versus like the education world. Um, and I, I don't know. I, that wasn't a full. I had scrunch face before I had a full thought. Um, can I jump in? Yeah. Please do. I teach here at JVU. Yes. And so I decided, you know, I asked JVU, she said the podcast was on Spotify. So just the other morning, I listened to it while I was getting ready. And it was the episode, I don't know how I picked it. Spotify just like shows a few. It was the one where I think Rachel, you've gotten the Teacher of the Year award. Oh, that was Natalie. That was Natalie. <laughs> All 
pregnant with the Gatna Teacher of the Year. And I was, I was so, yes, yes, yes. I was so interested because of two things. One, and so that's a big deal. Yeah. But also, I noticed the humility that you all had about it. You're so happy for her, but you were also saying, like, was it teachers nominated? Yes. Okay, and, and someone said she's she's excited or happy to be here, and so you were all laughing on low bar. <laughs> <laughs> but it was that was the takeaway because yeah. as I drove, I mean, I teach yeah. eight in the morning. Yeah. As I drove up to JBU for my eight o'clock English one class, thought, am I excited to be here? Because sometimes you can, I can walk into an English one classroom and dread it because oh, yeah. I secretly. And it's going to be obvious, right? Yeah. Think that that what we're talking about that day is kind of boring. Absolutely, sure. And if that's how I feel, yes. it's not going to be a fun class. Right. It's not going to be interesting yes. for anyone. Yes. And that was, and so yeah, so it's a different world. It's also the same world. Yes. It's the world of yes. what's my attitude, yep. and I and yeah. think about that because it matters. Mm -hmm. At eight a.m., maybe even more than. Other hours yes, of the day. Um, so thank you for that, and also modeling the virtue of humility when you give the award. But that's not really that's not even that's that's sort of a side issue because it's why you're it's your why. It was that, what's your why? That was right. the, that yes. was the yes. Well, and I mean Rachel's published Natalie Teacher of the Year. They are leading in their field. And yet they're very eager to jump on and just say, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. Right? How can I do this? Yeah. <clears throat> I think it'd be really interesting to do, this is like maybe too practical, you can take it or not. Um, but I think it'd be interesting to have maybe, I'm trying to think how you can bridge that just English literature students and the education students. But maybe have them interview like teachers that they had in high school who were like their literature teachers and have your literature students like, you know, ask them about ask them like literature specific questions but then have your um, teacher education students ask them about like why they're a teacher and how they teach well because one of the things that I've noticed um, with the interns that have come from JBU and just interns in general not just JBU um, is that time and time again students are coming in to do their internship and they're like this is what teaching is and you're like yeah it's not great um, because a lot of times we have these like rose-colored lenses and you, the number of times that we hear, I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking for you guys, and like, and then like if it doesn't work out, I'll just teach. Like, I'll just, if business doesn't work out, I'll just teach. And I'm like, you have no, you have no idea what it's, what it's like out there. Um, but one of the things that I did in high school was I had to interview one of the teachers that I had who was a believer and who was my AP literature teacher. and. Um, being able to recognize as a college student what he was trying to do in the high school classroom versus what I was experiencing in his classroom as a high school student was an entirely different. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, because instead of just being the participant in the class and just receiving the knowledge and information going through the projects, it was I understood his process. And even from if it was just purely literature of how he was teaching books, that was still a valuable thing for me to know how he was teaching those books. But then from the perspective of he has that same, like, general, like, I am doing the work that I'm supposed to do, and that gives me a purpose to be here and to love my students and to engage them in deep work. Um, and I think, I think that'd be helpful for students to reflect on as they consider teaching. Yeah. I was going to say we are at time, but I was going to say Rachel looks like she has one final okay. thought. So. We, we, we did kind of write some questions that I think 
relate to what you're asking. Oh, so things to consider as you go into your classrooms <laughs> next week. <laughs> Will you, yeah, it's like, this is how we do a podcast. Will you consider using podcasts for some other type of mode to support student learning? How can you build collaborative text with students that upset the power dynamics? And in what ways can you work with colleagues to explore faith and practice? And I have one final question for it, because I'm sure we could have kept going and going and going. So how can people get in contact with you if they want to ask more questions after this? Uh, well, you can, our information is on the podcast, Teachers Changing Teaching. It's the name of the podcast, and we have a website. It's very basic. It's yeah. all intentionally very pared down. Yeah. Uh, interact with us anytime. I'm here, jcollins at jbu.edu. <coughs> um, happy to talk with you about anything, anytime. How can I support you, and how can I learn from you as well? So thank you so much for spending your afternoon yeah, here with you. us. We really appreciate thank you. it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the Teachers Changing Teaching Podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and this discussion. And uh, we are so grateful for you listening to this show. And we hope that you continue to do so. And we hope that you're finding this content helpful. We've got more to come. And we'll see you soon.